Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. I'm your host, Chango Unchained, and today I'm here with Henry DeValence of Penumbra, which is a zero-knowledge DEX. So welcome to the show, Henry. Thanks. It's uh, really great to be here. You have a PhD in cryptography, I believe, right? No, I started a PhD and then I just dropped out. You dropped out. Congratulations. It was actually very convenient that the timing worked out with the first kind of big wave of crypto enthusiasm in that there was an opportunity to sort of just like do a lot of similar work that I would have been doing in academia, but instead in the the crypto ecosystem, which is a lot more open and dynamic. Would you mind just giving us an overview about that into more detail? So you were in academia and then... Yeah, yeah. I started off actually doing mathematics and I've also done some computer programming. And this was maybe in the first few years following the Snowden leaks. And so it felt like there was like a kind of a natural fit to try to go into cryptography because you get to combine both like very high level abstract math with very, very low level computer programming, which is very satisfying. And also there's this whole sort of political aspect about building systems that reflect particular values. So that was kind of my transition towards doing cryptography and then moved from academia into cryptocurrency industry. I worked at uh, Chain Inc. before they uh, did a, a merger with Stellar. And then after that, I went to the Zcash Foundation for a while. And then it's right around the, the new year. So my mental track of like what year is it is all messed up. But right about a year ago, I moved on to take some time off. I just got approved for a green card. So it's like the first time that I didn't have to be tied to a job. Because you're Canadian. Um, right, exactly. Green card in the US. Yeah. And then while I was, you know, going hiking and stuff, uh, I was doing some thinking about, you know, what are some of the kind of like lessons learned of privacy tech that we've seen so far? And what are kind of some of the next big problems to address? That turned into, well, maybe I should just kind of do this like public research project, write up some notes, post them online somewhere, see what people think. And then eventually that grew into Penumbra. So That's kind of the storyline of how I got here. Was there any connection to the Snowden leaks? No, that was just the kind of ambient background environment. Did that lead to the motivation for building privacy tech for you? Yeah, I would say so. It wasn't like, oh, this thing happened and now I like suddenly care about privacy, but one of the big effects of, of seeing all those documents is that the idea of mass surveillance went from this thing that like, you know, these like weirdo privacy activists cared about. It's kind of undeniable that it's a real problem. It goes from, oh, well, sure, like everything is, is being sent around unencrypted and somebody could be spying on everything to like, oh, they actually are. And so that, I guess, 
was one of the motivators for like, hey, you know, this is like a thing that I actually could work on. So just for our viewer, can you give us an overview of what Penumbra is? Yeah. I called it a zero knowledge dex, but maybe you could go further into it. There's sort of two aspects that in the case of Penumbra actually fit really well together. So the first aspect is this shielded dex. And the idea is that you want to be able to do dex functionality, like doing trading, but you don't want that trading to just be like constantly revealing all the information about what everybody is doing at all times. So that's kind of this first part. The second part is fully shielded private layer one that can act as shielded pool for any IBC compatible chain. That part is sort of the more foundational infrastructure that we're building the shielded decks on top of. And I think you get this kind of nice interplay between those two things where from the perspective of, of having this like cross-chain shielded pool, you get a lot more anonymity and privacy when you build something that people can actually use. And having a DEX that's integrated into that shielded pool is giving people a positive reason to actually use this thing. Looking at it from the, the other side of that pairing, like I want people to be able to do trading on some decentralized platform and I want their information to be protected. If you actually think like deeply about what that means, it's super, super hard to build some private thing on top of some kind of non-private transparent infrastructure. Because the kind of fundamental idea of, of what privacy is, is it's control over the disclosure of information. And like once you've disclosed information on some public chain, you can never take that back. So if you're trying to build some private system on top of some non-private infrastructure, as the designer of that system, you're constantly fighting this like impossible rearguard action to undo all of the privacy losses from the base layer. And so if we want to build something that actually works, we need to have some kind of infrastructure that's private all the way down. So what can somebody do with the shielded pools function that Penumbra has, assuming they want to do some cross-chain action and they're starting on another DEX, Gravity DEX or Osmosis, and they want the benefits of shielded pools. They want the benefits of having a privacy layer. What does that look like from a user perspective? The way that this is going to work is that Penumbra is going to be a Cosmos zone, just like other Cosmos zones. Someone who has assets on any IBC connected chain can do an IBC transfer into the Penumbra zone. When they do that transfer, as they move the funds into the Penumbra, those funds are, instead of being recorded in this kind of transparent account model way, like another sort of Cosmos SDK chain, they're recorded inside of the Penumbra shielded pool that can record any kind of cross-chain asset. The first kind of technical component is this cross-chain shielded pool that can record any IBC asset. So someone can transfer funds from some other chain into Penumbra and then have them be in that shielded pool. And that's cool because now you can say, oh, well, you know, I can have my Atoms or my Osmo or my Wawa or whatever stored in this like shielded way. But, you know, just having some tokens and then like having them be on the chain is like not actually that useful, 
right? People really want to do things. So there's a question of, okay, what can you do? So you can do the most basic thing, which is like private transactions. You can also do private staking because we're building this sort of fully private infrastructure. Our own proof of stake system also should be private because you shouldn't be forced to kind of choose between, oh, I get to participate in governance and securing the network, or I I get to participate in its core value proposition, right? That doesn't make sense. So we have private staking. And then we have sort of real core value of the, the zone, which is the private swaps. So we have this uh, shielded DEX that's integrated into the consensus mechanism. And there's basically two sides to this DEX that hit different sort of trade-off points for having very fine-grained control over trading versus having more privacy about, or more like less disclosure of information about somebody's activity. We decided to kind of put that onto whether someone is on the market taker side and they're doing swaps or whether they're on the market maker side and they're doing liquidity provision. Starting off with the market taker side, if you want to do a swap on Penumbra, you get like really good privacy. So all of the swaps that people submit to the chain are batched for all the trades on a certain trading pair in every block, get batched together and then executed as a single batch transaction with a common clearing price. And so that means that, first of all, people are going to get a more fair execution. You don't have some kind of issue about, oh, like somebody is like reordering transactions. How do you control the ordering of the transactions in a block? Everything is just done in one batch. And we also have privacy for those trades where the input amounts of each individual user's contribution to that batch are never revealed. When someone submits this swap, all it's visible to other people on the chain who are watching, you know, mempool transactions or or whatever, is just, I see that there's a transaction, somebody is trying to swap on this trading pair. And after all of that, all of those swaps are collected and committed into the block, all that is revealed in the public chain state is here's the total amount of that batch swap. And so each user's individual trade amount stays private forever. If you're the only person in the batch, then the total batch is the same as as your single trade. But we think that by having sort of more users and, and providing something that's useful, we can kind of keep the anonymity set large. This is really cool from the perspective of an individual trader because it actually you know, solves some existing problems that we've seen on DEXs, and it also solves the future problems, right? There's a lot of discussion, drama, et cetera, about like MEV front running. You have these graphs of like, here's the amount of value that was extracted from Uniswap and like all of this stuff. And in response to that, you see people sort of, I think, going on two main strategies. One is we can't really stop this from happening, but we can make it kind of so that everybody has an equal opportunity to like exploit each other. And it's like, okay, I guess that's good, but it doesn't really fix the problem. It just moves around who gets to benefit from the arbitrage. I don't want to kind of knock on that because like, look, if there is going to be some arbitrage opportunity in a system, it's much, much better if that is open to everyone rather than like, 
oh, you have to like pay this amount and then you get to like do the arbitrage. But it doesn't really change the fact that there's this kind of lost value. The second approach that I think is better is trying to eliminate potential for front running or, or transaction ordering or whatever by doing mempool encryption or other strategies like that, where you say, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to encrypt all of these transactions, and then we're going to pick what transactions we're going to include in the system. And then once we've committed to those, we'll collectively reveal them and find out what they are. And that way, even though all the transactions are still visible, it's not possible for someone to do this kind of front running. That's also reasonable as like an incremental approach. And it does prevent the problem of, you know, somebody doing like transaction reordering or, or front running or something. Like if you kind of zoom out, it's really only solving this kind of first order symptom of the problem. The core problem is you have people who are trying to trade in some online marketplace and every marketplace is also a market information and the system that people are using to trade does not allow them to control the disclosure of their information. And so they can't control who can know the things that I know that I'm trying to trade on, right? Like, how can you have a functioning market like that? With MEV and front running, it's a very easy thing to make legible in a graph. You can say like, we can clearly see that this is what's happening here and we can make a graph and everybody can see how big the problem is. Even if you solve that and you still had transparency for everybody's trades, you'll see these analysis reports from various like DeFi analytics firms where they say like, oh, well, we scanned through the chain and we looked at, you know, all of the wallets that ever interacted with Uniswap and we analyzed all of their trading activity. And like, here's a comprehensive picture of like what each individual person was doing. And it's like, well, you know, is that good? No. Even if you solve the front running problem, you still haven't made it possible for people to trade in a way that expresses their preferences, because they also have to do this whole game of like, you know, what am I also signaling through this? And can someone see my activity and so on and so forth? Where we got to is like, we should actually just cut all of this out and do, you know, the so-called like class fix to this bug. We're not going to do some mitigation we're not going to like have these like different layers of stuff that would make this like harder to exploit or something. We should just completely make the whole problem go away by not revealing any information. You can't have MEV if there's no information about what's going on in the transaction. That's kind of the first part of this like private trading part from the user's perspective or like a, a market taking user specifically is we're kind of on this trade-off of like privacy versus the amount of information disclosure, we're trying to maximize privacy. When you're executing a trade as part of a batch, there's also some loss of control there, right? Like we're going to have some slippage limits on our AMM, but the slippage limits are sort of batch-wide because otherwise you would have to know information about like you know, if I want to say, oh, this individual trade had this specific slippage limit, it's impossible for the chain to process that without knowing the information about what was in that trade. For the other side of the marketplace, which is liquidity provision, we aim for trade-off where you still have some amount of privacy, but it's less kind of absolute. 
For the backend part of the AMM, the mechanism that we're going to use is, is similar to UniV3, but rather than having like a kind of account model where, you know, we have some account and here's all the positions and like you can just open up a block explorer and you can look, what is this UniLP strategy? All of the liquidity positions are created anonymously out of the chain's shielded pool and they're closed back into the shielded pool. When you're looking at the state of the AMM as part of the public chain data, what you see is here's all the liquidity that's available on chain. Here's the exact kind of disposition of all of that liquidity. And as an LP, you can look at that information and decide where you want to put your liquidity, but you don't know this position is tied to this person or that person. You just know that it exists. You can figure out here's my strategy for doing liquidity provision. And I'm going to implement that and have my market making bot. And other people aren't going to be able to tell like exactly what are my movements specifically. Everybody gets to see the aggregate of the market, but the individual preferences of each LP are protected. And so it's kind of this quite interesting kind of trade-off in the, the AMM design space where we say like we have batch execution There's, you know, no ability to see what the swaps are before they're executed. There's all these features that are good for market takers because they're forcing the market makers to compete on price rather than like just some random kind of mechanical arbitrage. Then for the market makers who are having to compete on price, you know, here's all these tools that let you actually more effectively do that. Like you can have an active strategy and not have someone be able to trivially clone everything that you're doing. Like you can put time into like, I'm going to write a bot that like does some kind of useful arbitrage and people won't be able to just like see what my actions are and then copy it. Just to give people rundown of all of that. So we're saying that shielded pools is Penumbra's way of solving the front running and potentially time banded attacks that are pervasive within Ethereum, for example, and other account-based blockchains that tend to leak a lot of metadata. I know that uh, Osmosis is also working on a similar solution, and they're using threshold decryption. How is what you're doing with shielded pools and batch execution different or similar to that? It's a, a similar approach, but with different kind of implications because of sort of differences in the system design. Before I get into it, I'll just do a kind of disclaimer that like, although I have read about the Osmosis design and talked with them, it's not my project. So I whatever I say about it is just my understanding and not a kind of authoritative statement about their project. So both uh, Penumbra and Osmosis are going to be using threshold decryption to protect transaction information. But The difference is that what are you encrypting? In Osmosis, the thing that is encrypted is the entire transaction because architecture of Osmosis is descended from the Cosmos SDK. So it's like more of a a classic Cosmos system. And that architecture is not designed around privacy, right? So it's like you have some transactions, they do stuff, people can see what the transaction is and By encrypting the entire transaction, you can have the chain 
commit to here's what transactions are going to happen before those actions are visible. And so that prevents this kind of first order front running problem. Once those transactions are decrypted, everybody gets to see all of the details of all of the transactions. The difference is with Penumbra, we have this quite different like system and, and state model for the blockchain that's designed to be sort of fully shielded all the time. And so we're actually not encrypting the full transaction because the transaction is already shielded. In an idealized world, you wouldn't need to do any transaction encryption because the transaction already should be shielded. What we are going to use the threshold encryption to do is encrypt the contribution of each swap to the batch total. So instead of having a kind of like byte-oriented encryption for transaction bodies, we just have integer-valued encryption that is homomorphic. So you can add up the encryptions of different values, and then you get an encryption of the sum. And that lets us have the validators sum up the encrypted swap amounts of every swap that's going to be included in a batch, and then only decrypt the batch total. What that gives us is this very strong long-term privacy property of the individual swap amounts of each user's trade never being revealed. Both of these systems are much better than the situation on like a fully transparent system like Ethereum. But the difference is that if you're only encrypting the transaction until it's committed, then you've prevented front running, but you haven't prevented someone from being able to like scan through everybody's account activity after the fact. So if you think about, you know, what is the goal of doing any of this transaction encryption at all, right? It's to try to prevent people from looking at the information in other people's trades and then exploiting that information. Front running, you can think of as being like a very like narrow time window for doing that kind of exploitation. And it's the kind that's like the easiest to exploit and it's the easiest to kind of make a graph of here's all the exploitation that's happening, but it's not the only kind of ways to get information on other people's trades, right? Like it may actually be useful to me to know exactly what trades you're making, even if I'm not in a position to do anything about it until after you've done that. Like I might sort of see you starting to make a few trades and make some guesses, or I might be able to scan through the entire history of all of the trades that your account has ever done. And then build some predictive model of what your strategy is, and then, you know, move. Both of these are, are big improvements over just a fully transparent system. In the case of osmosis, it's this kind of like, we're kind of coming from different directions towards a, a similar goal. So like, you know, osmosis, it's really cool that like, that's a system that's like real and you can just use today. And it's really exciting to see them try to kind of make it incrementally more private, but it's quite challenging to take a system that's designed around the assumptions of a transparent model and then make it fully private rather than kind of starting from how do we make this thing fully private and then build something that people can use. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Stake. Did you know that Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse? 
We are a premium sushi-grade A5 Wagyu steakhouse now up and running on Osmosis and Umi blockchains. If you benefit from the alpha that you're receiving from this show, show us your support by delegating to Interchain FM Steak. The problem set that you are solving with Penumbra is sort of a superset of the problems that Osmosis is solving, which is you are sort of privacy first instead of just solving the problem of MEV resistance. I think that's fair. One of the things that's really interesting about trading as a use case, it's a, a context where privacy has a very quantifiable near-term economic value. One of the things that we've seen with privacy projects is building a private system is hard because you have to do all this cryptography. It's hard because you need to have quite different sort of state models. There's a lot of difficulties with making something that's private, and it's a lot easier to just like blast everybody's information all over the internet. Because of that, I think that a lot of privacy projects have kind of struggled because when they're trying to articulate, you know, here we're building this private infrastructure and it's really good and you should use it. You're trying to articulate, you know, why should you care about this? If the story is like, we believe in privacy because of it's a fundamental human right. And because you don't know, maybe in like five or 10 years, somebody is going to be scanning all of this chain data and it'll come back to haunt you. It's like this very kind of nebulous future harm. And for me and many of the other people who build private systems, like I'm on board with that. I'm sold. But that itself doesn't translate into a viable, useful product. The thing that's really interesting about trying to build a private trading system is that you can kind of use the trading use case where privacy has this very near-term quantifiable value, like you can make your graphs of, of how much value has been exploited from MEV, then you can use that activity to bootstrap this kind of like long-term, like fundamental privacy infrastructure. We're actually kind of aiming to sort of unite like two different use cases for the system. The first is what we've mainly been talking about, which is this kind of DeFi DEX use case. But as a side effect of all of those people using this system, we want to be able to provide this sort of foundational privacy infrastructure rather than saying like, oh, here's this like system and it's private and you should use it because you care about privacy. But like, can you do anything with it? Well, no. You talked about homomorphic encryption, and that word just takes me back to Mimblewimble. How is that similar to the tech behind Mimblewimble, or how is it different from confidential transactions in Monero, for example? So I'll just do like a comparison. At a technical level, our system design is an evolution of the Zcash design. In a system like Monero, you have confidential transactions and the transaction amounts are all hidden, but it doesn't really hide in itself the metadata of like where the value is coming from. And that's provided through this kind of layer of like mix-ins and each transaction could have been from these other 11 or, you know, however many transactions. And that's providing in a theoretical sense, a kind of like statistical privacy that's not as, as strong theoretically as the model in a system like Zcash, where when you make a transaction, what you do is you do this giant 
ZK proof of I'm spending value that was previously legitimate and it could have been any transaction that had ever happened. Theoretical privacy guarantees Penumbra is going to have are much closer to the stronger in Zcash because our design is an evolution of the design of Zcash. If you look at sort of, you know, what is the actual privacy that you get? It's not really clear to me that I'm not saying that like, you know, Monero doesn't have privacy or something, right? And I think it's interesting to note that like there's actually a lot of organic use there. And if you have some kind of theoretically perfect design for a privacy system, but people don't actually use it, then the anonymity set is not very large and the theoretical guarantees might not matter that much. What we're hoping to do by having this uh, shielded DEX is provide people with this like positive reason to actually use the system and use that activity to grow the anonymity set. So you get this kind of network effect between you have the more users of this DEX you get, you know, the more liquidity, the, the better the price is and that kind of classic cycle. And then you also have this cycle of the more people use the system, the stronger the anonymity set grows because we have this Zcash style property of every transaction's anonymity set is every previous transaction, not just, you know, a few different potential mix-ins. I want to go back to the cross-chain UX of moving value into Penumbra and potentially out of it. You touched on the fact that any blockchain with an accounts-based model is completely privacy-leaking, as opposed to a UTXO model, which is in Bitcoin and Handshake, for example, which is the second you share your address your Cosmos or Ethereum address with somebody, you've effectively mm -hmm. doxed yourself. If you wanted to preserve privacy for yourself, you basically have to create Sybil accounts and mimic the HD tree that is available in Bitcoin and basically create a new account for yourself each time you send an address to another person. So the other privacy leaking thing that's pervasive in like Cosmos, especially mm -hmm. with all the different chains and the airdrops is your same Cosmos address is associated to an Osmo address, is associated to a secret address, is associated to a Chihuahua address and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the minute I use my Cosmos address and then I send it into Penumbra, like how does that preserve my privacy? The example that you gave is actually a really great way to, to see this. So let's say that you're doing this thing where it's like, oh, I you know, don't want all of my activity to be linkable to each other. So I'm going to create like all of these different Cosmos addresses for each purpose. And I'm going to carefully manage. I do this stuff with this address and this stuff with this one, right? Even if you do all that perfectly, the whole transaction history is public for everybody. And so even if there's not a kind of trivial link of, oh, I could just plug in this Cosmos address and get all of these associated ones, someone, you know, like Chainalysis or whatever, can look at all of the transactions and notice that the accounts are connected to each other. And so you get this kind of obfuscation, but you don't really get privacy. If you wanted to use one of these other sort of transparent zones in the ecosystem, and you wanted to have different identities in different contexts, you need a way for 
those identities to send value to each other without being linkable. This is actually one of the, the really cool use cases for Penumbra in having this cross-chain shielded pool is if you have you know, your account A on like the hub, let's say, and then you send some tokens to your Penumbra account or uh, address, and then later you send some of those tokens to your kind of alt identity you know, B, also on, on the hub, those transfers are not trivially linkable to each other. You do have to be careful. You know, this is kind of similar dynamic to the shielded pool in Zcash. You know, if you sent exactly the same amount in both of those transactions, someone could say like, hey, I saw like exactly this amount go in and then exactly this amount go out and maybe I could correlate that. Basically, by sending value through the Penumbra shielded pool, people have a way to have different identities on different Cosmos chains without all of those identities being linkable to each other. Whereas now, even if you go and carefully construct all of these different accounts, the fact that they're sending value to each other links them. You only get this very surface level obfuscation, but it's still possible for someone to link those things up. That brings me to the question of why is there a need for a privacy-based or privacy-first AMM? And I liked the analogy that you told me before when we met at Cosmoverse, which is like when you go climb a mountain, you end up at the top of the mountain. Like, where do you go from there? Can you kind of expound on that? So this is like part of a reflection on like my experiences working on Zcash. You have this really awesome technology and once you go through all the effort to have your funds in this shielded pool, like you have these shielded funds, but like, what do you do with them? The analogy of, of climbing a mountain is like, you go to all of this effort to kind of get into the shielded pool and have your value be recorded in a private way. And then once you get to the top of this mountain, there's not actually much to do. You can look around, but eventually in order to actually do anything useful with your tokens, you have to sort of be pulled back down into this transparent area. And so as long as your shielded ledger is not itself kind of a site of activity, you're always going to be facing this kind of uphill battle of trying to convince people, oh, like record your value in this shielded pool or whatever until you move it out to do something with it. It's not great as a product, but it's also not great in terms of privacy because privacy and anonymity that you're getting from this uh, shielded system comes from actually recording the value in a shielded way. For us, we want to kind of like invert this picture and have the Penumbra decks be this kind of like center of gravity that pulls value into the shielded pool and then keeps it there. Because it's not just, oh, I've put my tokens in the shielded pool and now I get to feel happy that I have privacy. It's I have my tokens in the shielded pool and now I can like use them for LPing and like earn yield or actually trade with them or you're giving people a, a positive reason to participate in the system that's not just this kind of oh, you should definitely record your value in a, a private way because privacy is important to you. 
By the way, this podcast is pet friendly, and so if your pet wants to make a cameo appearance, more than welcome. This is the really horrible cat who is very, very loud and demanding. In particular,、uh, we have like the door to my office is、uh, an automatic door from her perspective because she just yells, and then eventually the door opens or, or closes. And then、um, food appears. Yeah, lots of times, in fact, people who've started projects have like cameoed their pets, and then obviously, community decides is a good idea to NFT them and then create、oh, a new、sure. like meme coin out of them. So maybe on the penumbra decks, there's just going to be maybe. maybe. So actually, on our test nets, which is a, another thing, we have some public test nets. I don't want to artificially raise anybody's expectations. Like, effectively, this is kind of our public CI.、Uh, if you go to our GitHub, there's instructions on on how to use the testnet, and you can make some transactions and send funds back and forth. There is actually a, a dog token on our testnet of a an anonymous team member because we're a privacy preserving project. So the exact identity of the dog is state secret. One other thing that I just wanted to mention too about this this use case of of using Penumbra as a shielded pool for the interchain is the combo of being able to connect to many different zones and being able to have trading happen inside of the shielded pool actually makes that use case much 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 more powerful than an ordinary shielded pool. And the reason for that is. You know, okay, so we have this multi-asset shielded pool. You can record any type of asset you want. Okay, that's cool. But if you just had a multi-asset shielded pool that can, you know, record different assets, in a sense, it's not really one shielded pool. It's one shielded pool for each asset that are kind of stacked together, right? So if if someone moves, you know, a bunch of atoms in, and then later like moves a bunch of atoms out, or someone moves. Some you know Osmo in and moves Osmo out. Those are different types of tokens. And if you just had a multi-asset shielded pool, you wouldn't have any way to have kind of shared privacy between the different assets that are in the same shielded pool. But because we have a, a dex that's integrated into the shielded pool, someone can move tokens of one type into Penumbra and then trade them. Shieldedly for tokens of some other type, and then move those out to some other account that they control. And if you think about what that means for someone who's trying to surveil all of these cross-chain transfers, if they're trying to just correlate amounts of tokens that are moving in and out, it's not just that they have to correlate. Oh, this amount of this token, and I'll like look up in my database of every other transfer of that token. It's I have to look at. All of the other transfers that have ever happened, and then go through and look at like all of the historical trading prices of every possible trading pair, because you know someone could have traded at some time in the the past, and you don't know what the price is, so you don't know what the and so you get this kind of combinatorial explosion of the possible movements in and out of the chain within. Penumbra, we have like very strong kind of cryptographic privacy. As you step out of Penumbra and are transferring between some other transparent zone, 
that steps down to this kind of statistical privacy, right? Because we can't protect you once you leave our chain. The fact that we can do activity within our shielded pool means that the statistical privacy that we can extend to people who are using it to do sort of shielded transfers between zones is much, much stronger than would be possible if we just were cross-chain shielded pool. So let me see if I understand this correctly. If I just wanted to obfuscate the coins that are in my account, I would Mm -hmm. send three atom to Penumbra and then draw three atom out, but would have effectively been swapped out with another new set of coins. The thing that you would need to be careful of is like if you just sort of shield some value and then you unshield it, you don't get privacy immediately because someone can like look at the amounts and correlate that. But in your example, right, suppose you sent like three atoms in and then you swapped, say, like two atoms for some amount of regen, whatever the current price was. And then later you sent some of that regen to back to the hub or something. And let's say you sent it to a a completely different address that you generated. Someone who's trying to link up those transactions has to be able to correlate, here's this amount that came in, and then I have to look at all of these other possible transfers out. So if you were to just kind of immediately move stuff in and out, then you probably would not get that much privacy. It's really the fact that you're talking to a transparent zone that makes it quite hard to get privacy there. But if you move stuff into Penumbra, you keep it there for a little while, you do some trading, you move like different amounts out, that is, I think, probably the the best that's possible when you're talking to another transparent ledger. To be clear, right, like this isn't really something that Penumbra itself can solve on its own. Like there's a fundamental limitation when you're working with a transparent chain about what information you can disclose. Is it safe to say that Penumbra has similar functionality to a coin mixer? So like a coin join, for example, in Bitcoin, somebody could do that, except it also has the additional function of being a DEX. What I would say is someone could use it similarly to a a mixer to get some kind of privacy, but the actual functionality is like much, much more sophisticated. With a mixer, the idea is like there's this transparent world and we're just kind of trying to unlink stuff. And our goal with Penumbra is we want to have a shielded ledger that's actually useful for people to do activity on. If someone wants to use that as just a brief stopover and and effectively use it as a a mixer, you know, that should be possible. But our goal really is people should be able to record their value in a shielded zone and be able to do useful things with those tokens in a shielded way, rather than this kind of model of like, I'm trying to get as much privacy as I can before I like return to this chain where everything I do is constantly doxing myself. What's the latitude for Penumbra to increment additional features such as like lending and borrowing, for example, or if it wants to externally leverage a protocol such as Yumi or some other chain that lets you do that, Mm -hmm. you know, how would that work with Penumbra? 
Our initial idea is to focus on having you know, our initial set of functionality, which is transact, stake, swap, market make, and really nail down that functionality in a private way. What's really awesome about being part of the interchain ecosystem is that each chain can have specialization because every chain is, can be connected with IBC. For us, when thinking about, you know, oh, here's this other functionality that we might want to have or that people might want to have, or here's like people might want to have programmability or something like that, right? Our approach is basically we're going to pick the things that we think that we can do really well. And we're going to do those things. And then for everything else, we have IBC for people to be able to get that functionality on more specialized protocols. In the future, I think it would be really interesting to try to explore having programmability in Penumbra. As a kind of a sort of hard design goal, I think everything within Penumbra should be private. I think if you start trying to say, oh, well, we have this chain. And then if you do these things, that's private. And if you do these things, it's like not private. Like it's very confusing. Whereas right now the zone boundary is the privacy boundary. And that's very easy to understand. I think it would be really interesting to try to figure out like what does a good privacy or private programmability story look like? And I would like to work in that direction post mainnet. But initially the approach is like, the stuff that we're going to specialize and do really well. And for everything else, you should use IBC to connect to somebody else's chain where they're doing that really well. Just to wrap up on my questions, when is mainnet launch? And can you give us just like a high level overview about the token and tokenomics? Mainnet launch will happen at a point in the future. So far, we have um, a public roadmap where we've laid out sort of here's the different phases of development that we're going to do. And we've laid out our strategy for being able to get those things done. But we haven't fixed to a specific schedule or dates. Like we'd like to go, you know, as, as fast as possible, obviously. But at the same time, we also want to do it correctly. And one of the challenges with building a private system is that a lot of the complexity and correctness is kind of front loaded. You have to really get the design right because once you've gone to mainnet, it's not that you have some chain state that you can just look at, but everybody's you know stuff is all shielded. That's a bit of a challenge. And so we haven't committed to a specific schedule, but as we get closer to readiness, we will definitely be you know sharing more. On the, the tokenomics front, that's also something that we're still working through the details of. There's a lot of complexity in making a token and, you know, want to like do that right. For now, we've been focused on trying to build something that's real. So we have these test nets that people can play with. They're not, you know, incentivized at all, but we're releasing details on the, the tokenomics at, at some point in the future, with the soon TM. Will there be an airdrop? Probably. The norm in the Cosmos ecosystem of sort of these cross-chain airdrops is actually very cool. I mean, not just from the perspective of, you know, an individual person who gets an airdrop, but thinking about what it means for an ecosystem. 
Like, I think it's really cool that you have basically all of these different projects and you have this really vibrant community of people that end up being kind of mutualistically invested in all of these different projects. I think that's really interesting. It feels like there's a very real kind of focus on decentralization, like especially in the blockchain space, everybody talks about decentralization. And then there's like the projects that like talk about it and do it. And then there's the projects that like talk about it and then like don't do it. The environment in the Cosmos ecosystem where all of these different community members end up being cross-invested in all of these different projects really builds this kind of like mutualistic, cooperative, collaborative spirit. And I think that that's like super, super powerful and valuable. And I think that's like one of the actually the coolest innovations of the, the ecosystem. With any kind of airdrop, I'm not actually aware of any successful airdrop that wasn't some kind of retroactive thing because there's this incentive problem of, you know, announcing stuff and then people, you know, run off with the uh, Keybase thing, I think was kind of famous example of that. At some point when we're ready, we'll have some details, but for now, we actually have been really focused on just building the technology and having that be real rather than doing a lot of detailed planning about the tokenomics. I'm going to take some final questions from the audience and then we will wrap up. Gazanfar Ansari asks the obvious question, what differentiates Penumbra from Secret Network? The kind of key high level thing there is that in Penumbra, the Privacy and, and security is based on cryptography rather than trusting a single corporation, which is Intel. With Secret Network, it's an incremental improvement. It's better to have people using a, a chain that's inside of some Intel hardware rather than just like broadcasting the history of everybody's stuff forever. But if you look at the history of SGX security, even in cases where actually it wasn't being used for anything particularly valuable, I wouldn't want to base fundamental security properties of a system on just trusting the Intel hardware. It's a question of trade-offs, right? Because if you're okay with, I'll just trust Intel, then there's a lot of stuff that you can do that is easier. Like doing programmability inside of SGX is like, oh, you're just like running some computer programs. And if you're fine with building your entire system on trusting Intel, then that's great. I wouldn't want to just like trust Intel's hardware security. Lonra something asks, in your view, are there any downsides to batch execution for AMM trades compared to what Casper finality, wait, FFS or mempool based execution? I guess users can't be guaranteed to get best execution vis-a-vis other venues. What's FFS? Off the top of my head, I'm, I don't know the acronym. Maybe the person can fill in. I can a- answer the question about downsides to batch execution. Like, yes, there are downsides to batch execution. When someone is deciding to be part of this batch, they are giving up some kind of control over exactly how their trade is going to be executed. But in practice, I don't think that a lot of users have that kind of control anyway. If you just kind of zoom out and think about like the the execution model of a blockchain, right? You have these transactions that are doing like state updates, and then those get collected into blocks and then executed. From the 
perspective of the underlying state machine, the minimum time resolution is, in some sense, the block. And if you build mechanisms that expose some kind of higher time resolution than the actual sort of fundamental semantics of the chain, what you're doing is creating this opportunity for mechanical arbitrage where people are racing to have or competing to have their transactions ordered in a, in a certain way. Some people might be able to win that arms race, but most people won't. For most people, having the semantics of like everybody is getting the same price and if there's noise of you know people trading in different directions, that should kind of cancel out prior to hitting the AMM. That's going to give a better market design to go to this kind of frequent batch auction model. For people who do actually want to have really fine-grained control over the execution of their trades, on the LP side, our mechanism is going to be quite similar to the like UniV3 concentrated liquidity. And by making a liquidity position with a very narrow range, you can kind of simulate the effect of a limit order. And so we do provide a way for people who have like very particular requirements about their execution to get those, but by participating on the LPE side. Just to close out, where can people find you, Henry, and where can people find more information about Penumbra? So if you go to penumbra.zone, which is our website, there's links in the top of the website to the Discord, which is uh, at this point primarily like development focused. There's also links to our GitHub and there's links to a draft protocol spec that has like all of the design details that you could ever want to know. And if there's something that's not there, then like just yell at us in Discord and we'll, you know, that'll be, oh, great. We should fill in this part of the spec. On Twitter, there's the uh, Penumbra Zone Twitter account. And I also am on Twitter at, uh, at HDevalence. I would say that to kind of find out more about the project, definitely join the Discord. Happy to, to kind of be in touch. You can play with our testnet if you would like. Well, thank All you right. so much, Henry, for coming on the show. And if you want to stay tuned for next week, we're going to have Harry Halpin from NIM join us on the show. And so thank you to the listeners for tuning into this podcast this week. And I'll see you in the next week. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I sincerely hope you found the information contained in it educational and useful for your personal learning development. I understand that the space moves so fast and there's too much information to digest sometimes. My goal with Interchain FM is to serve only the highest signal information in easy to digest courses so that you're not overwhelmed with TMI and leave only with context that matters. Interchain FM airs live every Thursday on my Twitter handle at C-H-J-A-N-G-O or on Chango and Chain's YouTube channel. If you miss our live sessions, you won't miss a single episode when you visit interchain.fm. I hope to see you at the next show.